of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, and it is great to be here continuing the series on the five solas. And uh, we have covered three. We have covered grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And today we are going to cover sola scriptura, uh, scripture alone. And so this is the fourth of the five solas. And I think they are each uh, vital in their own unique way, but also linked connected to one another. And so uh, Sola Scriptura is no different. Uh, Scripture alone. In Paul's second letter to his protege Timothy, he explains that every word of Scripture is breathed out by God and useful for uh, teaching, reproof, correction, and training so that Christians may be equipped for good works. That's found in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Um, there's a lot of controversy that arises when you discuss the content of Scripture and what is meant by the term in the New Testament uh, writings. Uh, when, when when people refer to the word Scripture, what is meant by Scripture? So when Paul says to Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God, what is he referring to? So those who are not proponents of biblical inerrancy would would commonly propose that Paul is not referring to any New Testament writings, or even possibly to the words of Christ, but to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so without diving too much into detail uh, to dispute this, what I would refer to as an egregious claim, there's a suggestion that I would give to you, and that is to read John Piper's book, A Peculiar Glory. And uh, in this book, John Piper clearly lays out the reliability of Scripture, and, and it's it's argued, it's tried, and uh, and it's been proven through the centuries. And, and it's a very good book. If you're curious about canon, biblical canon, um, there, there's a lot of good material in that particular book, and I'll reference some of it today, but I encourage you to read that book. But suffice it to say that the scripture of which believers speak is and has been for centuries the Holy Bible in its current form. Uh, sola Scriptura is the fourth of the five solas. Um, it's perhaps the most tangible in that believers have access to the text of God's Word in a plurality of forms, really. In fact, so common is the Bible in modern society that Christians tend to take it its reverence and the Holy Text for granted. A lot of believers have died for the Bible's preservation throughout church history. Most Western churches can carry multiple copies on their backs and in their pockets and in their, on their tablets, on their phones. And, and and have countless supplementary resources that only seminary students used to be able to access. But the doctrine of Scripture alone does not neglect the sacredness of the text, but it reveres it as the words and the commands of God centered around the person of Jesus Christ. So the Reformers understood the centrality of Scripture um, to Christian worship so much that the pulpit, rightly or wrongly, became the focal point of worship gatherings. And 
that is carried over even to today. How many times have you attended a, a church, maybe visited a church, and they have said, or at least implied, that the sermon or the pulpit or the, the Bible is the central focus of the worship gathering? Um, I used to believe that was the right view, um, and I don't anymore. I think Scripture should permeate the worship gathering, but um, I don't think there should be a most important part. And In fact, if anything, I would say it would be the Lord's table. Um, but it all fits together as one dialogue. There, it's not that music supports the sermon. It's not that the prayers support the sermon. No, that's not how this works. <laughs> Worship is a dialogue between God and his people. Um, but the reformers rightly revered Scripture. And so Christians should believe and confess in Scripture alone as their earthly source of wisdom and knowledge because Scripture is derived from God the Son. And Scripture, rather than affirming preconceived human notions, informs, instructs, and convicts the church. And so people need to live their lives to conform to the Bible's holy instructions. But even still, the trajectory of church history offers a vivid affirmation of the truth, uh, the truth of Scripture. So Jesus, in his incarnate person, is at the right hand of the Father. And while believers possess the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the explicit instructions in the story of God are found in the text of Scripture. And it's Scripture alone that must take priority to all human opinion and thought. So the fourth of the five solas here makes room for no other written source but Scripture alone. Supplements are good. I have no problem with supplements. I read commentaries quite often. But we cannot let that control what Scripture tells us. And, and that happens so often when people don't like what the Scripture says. Let me find a commentary that fits my opinion, and oh, well, I don't agree with this because. Well, I'm sorry, but this is what the text says. And yes, it's good to look at the original language, uh, but we need to just be very careful that we're not molding and trying to shape Scripture to fit what we want. So I have a few uh, points here about Scripture alone. The first is that Scripture alone is a derivative of Christ. So it's already been referenced that Scripture is derived from Jesus Christ. I said that last week when talking about Christ alone. Jesus is not the subject to the Bible, but he is not subject to the Bible, but the Bible is subject to him. What I mean by that, in, in the beginning of the book of John, uh, John confesses that Jesus is from the beginning, that he was with God, that he was God or is God himself. In John 1.1, 1, 1. The, the term John uses for word here when it says that um, that Jesus, that the word was God and the word was with God is logos. And this is the Greek word that is found when it's referring to word throughout the New Testament, the word logos. And it's it's usually a broad term um, Relating to reasoning through expressed words. The same term, though, is used in Hebrews 4.12 to refer to the text of Scripture. And so there's a lot of people that say, well, logos only means Jesus. Not necessarily. It could be referring very well to the Bible. 
in in Neoplatonic philosophy, the the Gnostic heresy, second and third centuries, the Logos was seen as one of the many immediate powers between God and the world. In other words, this Logos was sort of a concept in Neoplatonic philosophy and and the very mediating or intermediate power between God and, and humankind. But John uses it in a more narrow sense, not as broad, a more narrow sense to explicit is to explicitly refer to the person of Christ. And so the reason for such a use is an understanding that Jesus, the son did not only obey scripture, but literally governs scripture. In other words, he spoke and employed scripture himself. So the basis for sola scriptura must be Jesus Christ. To refer to the word as authoritative is simultaneously to understand that the text of the Bible is only so because Jesus is chiefly authoritative in everything. So because of of this truth, Christians should trust the Bible as the earthly authoritative derivative of Christ. So obedience of scripture cannot be employed without first knowing Christ. Because to know scripture is to know Christ. So here, here's a, a quote from John Piper in the book that I referenced earlier. Uh, sorry, no, this is in, in another book. This is uh, He has a trilogy on scripture. Um, there are three books. One of them is A Peculiar Glory. Another is called Reading the Bible Supernaturally. And he says this. The act of reading, in order to be done as God intended, must be done in dependence on God's supernatural help. Luke's gospel records Jesus opening the minds of his hearers to understand the scriptures in Luke 24, 45. This is a beautiful feature of the five solas and their connection to each other. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. There is a progression, each part connected to the previous and the next. Scripture alone, therefore, is in direct succession to Christ alone, and rightfully so, because scripture is a derivative of Jesus Christ. So scripture alone is a derivative of Jesus Christ. The second point is scripture alone does not affirm preconceptions, but only Christ alone. So the culture in which we currently live inclines toward affirmation rather than information. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, people have their opinions. And if... (laughs) If you disagree or if anyone else disagrees, well, then they can, I mean, you could look for a bazillion different ways to prove your point and you can take things out of context, not just the Bible, but any, anything really. And, um, you know, we live in a world of affirmation, not information with scripture. Even churches make the fatal error of examining the text through a preconceived lens rather than one of openness with a heart geared toward the Holy Spirit's direction. And this is not to say that there is no room for disagreement, because certainly disparate hermeneutics subsist within groups of Christianity, but it's more difficult for most Christians to accept a biblical notion with which they disagree than to persist in their errors and to fixate upon division in the church, which often is the case that that happens. So scripture does not affirm preconceptions. That's not what the Bible is there to do, and it usually does not do that, but only Christ alone. And there are some biblical concepts and theologies that are more convoluted than many care to admit, but 
many of the disagreements Christians have with one another are more objective than people also care to admit. If people are honest, it's likely that they're offended by biblical truth because it violates what they previously thought or how they previously felt. In other words, their own thoughts and emotions become the basis for Christian living rather than what the word of God has given in the text of scripture. And so this is evident in manifold ways. For example, a statement like like this has probably been heard by many Christians, okay? So you've probably heard something like this. I don't think that God would make someone with same-sex attractions if it was a sin. Scripture is clear on this issue, among others, which could certainly replace this statement. But it baffles many Bible-believing Christians that someone would even argue the absolute wrongness of such a sin. And again, I'm just throwing that out there. That's a common example. There are many others I'm not picking on the sin of homosexuality, okay? There are many others. Um, People's thoughts and feelings, however, distort the truth in such a way that it's no longer truth but a blatant lie. People know what Scripture teaches. People have read it, studied it, and heard it multiple times. But people continue to deny it and deny its truth because it violates their own preconceived notions, I mean, to the human mind, it might make sense. Well, God would not make someone with same-sex attractions if it, if it was a sin. Are you sure about that? Because he made us and conceived us in sin. We were conceived in sin. So are you sure that he would not make someone with those attractions? I mean, he made people with heterosexual attractions, and yet it's, it's a sin to um, engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, even in a heterosexual relationship. Uh, so, you know, it, it might sound good. Yeah, God would never make someone like this if it was a sin, but it's a blatant lie. And we distort these things to fit our own thoughts and ideas. And believers are told for a, this very reason in Proverbs 3, 5, not to lean on their own understanding, but to trust in the Lord. The heart, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is wicked and deceitful. This is why God's people need to trust the authority of Scripture over their own preconceived notions, many of which are based upon feeble misunderstandings. Humans conceived in sin hold a a sinful perspective on everything. That's our nature. And so to trust in a preconceived notion is to trust in a sinful perspective. Even human intelligence is foolish and fatal. The Bible, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the scripture is foolishness. The gospel is foolishness to the wicked. And this is really a category into which all humanity belongs by nature. By God's awakening, his people understand and are changed by him through the text of scripture and nothing else. So, on this premise, whether scripture is sensible to the flesh, it must be trusted. Because it is always right. Human perspective by nature is sinful and therefore never right. And so if the church is going to live by the doctrine of sola scriptura, the truth of the Bible cannot be denied. Scripture will not affirm preconceived notions, but will contrastingly inform believers so that they are convicted and changed. Conviction is not easy, and in fact, it's it's often painful, but conviction is how the Holy Spirit changes his people. So scripture alone is truth because God is. Is truth. And to say that God can do anything would be slightly misleading because God cannot lie. Hebrews 6 18. 
The Bible confirms itself as the very word of God and has been reconfirmed as such throughout church history. God cannot lie. So the text of scripture is 100% truth. And so to deny its truthfulness is to deny the truthfulness of God, which is blasphemy. The, uh, there's a perpetual debate among Christian believers, and it's whether or not the Bible is inerrant or infallible. Okay, maybe you've heard this argument. It's a bit ridiculous. Semantics, uh, let, let me just throw this out here. Semantics seem inconsequential to many Christians, but because words possess meaning, I believe firmly that semantics is vital in most cases. But in this case, um, I, I believe that the average person, certainly outside the church, makes no distinction between inerrant and infallible. And so it's right to say either or simply that the Bible is completely true and incapable of error. And so we need to learn to trust the word of God no matter how uncomfortable or how violating it may seem. No other document or book in human history can boast such a claim but the holy words of Scripture. No other in human history has been through as much scrutiny, uh, preservation, attempts to stamp hatred and love as the Bible. Christian scripture remains the only perfect book in history, the only perfect document. Hear me on this. The U.S. Constitution is not a perfect document. The Bible is. And so despite the attempts of many uh, through the centuries to disprove and abolish it, the Bible remains, and it still remains in its quality. And so preconceived notions will never prevail over the Bible because the Bible is a derivative of God himself. Christians' guidance and direction, therefore, must come from Scripture alone. And additionally, because believers have a high priest in Jesus Christ and may approach God themselves without need of another human mediator— they may also interpret the scriptures for themselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. Protestants typically argue that scripture is uh, perspicuous or, or clear to all people regarding the essential truths of the Christian gospel of salvation. In contrast to the Roman Catholic Church view of magisterium or the teaching office of the church, which is required to infallibly interpret the scripture, Protestants argue that through the Holy Spirit, individuals can by themselves interpret the scriptures responsibly. And the key to this approach is that to properly understand Scripture, believers should be obedient to the Holy Spirit's revelation through the text. In other words, even if what God reveals does not fit, or even if it violates someone's previous ideas, he or she should obey and change. And to do the opposite is sin. So the Reformers understood that the revelation of God does not come from mere human, including a priest, not come from a, a mere human understanding, but from the Bible itself. The, the not a, This isn't a new concept, but the matchless revelation of Scripture has been a staple of the church for centuries. There was a man in the uh, 4th century named Cyril of Jerusalem, and he discusses the revelation of God through the Bible in this way. He says... For concerning the divine and holy mysteries of the faith, not even a casual statement must be delivered without the holy scriptures, nor 
Must we be drawn aside by mere plausibility and and, um, artifices of speech? Even to me, who tell thee these things. Yes, old, old English here. Give not absolute credence unless thou receive the proof of the things which I announce from the divine scriptures. For this salvation, which we believe, depends on reasoning. Depends not on reasoning, but on demonstration of the holy scriptures. So Cyril of Jerusalem here is saying, even if I'm telling you this, check it out, measure it against scripture. Even the most intellectual and intelligent person really is incapable of understanding the scripture without the Holy Spirit's manifestation in his or her life. So scripture alone is securely fastened to the other solace, especially Christ alone, because the Bible centers around, focuses on, and points to Christ. So Christians should realize the crucial doctrine of sola scriptura in such a way that when personal thoughts and feelings are challenged through the reading of the Bible, active change is swift and without apology. And so the Bible doesn't affirm humans, but humans are to affirm scripture. So rather than living a life of desired affirmation, as most people do in our society, Christians should seek information and further information from Scripture that radically transforms their lives. So Sola Scriptura abandons all rational or seemingly rational human thoughts by teaching God's truth, whether it is comfortable or sensible. And this is not to say that God is irrational or senseless, but that his ways are above humanities, according to Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, and and often not understandable to the human mind. So Christians are not to lean on their own understanding, but to trust God in every circumstance, no matter how much sense it makes or doesn't make. Sola Scriptura reveals that the truth of God is contained in the text of the Bible, and nothing else on earth is sufficient for life and for godliness but Scripture. Sola Scriptura reveres the Bible believes its total truth and conforms to its text because scripture does not affirm human thought, but human thought is to affirm scripture. So the third uh, point here I have about scripture alone is uh, sola scriptura is a doctrine that to many seems to be the most man-made of the five solas, but scripture alone is a doctrine that is not only confirmed by God himself in his own words, the Bible, but also affirmed by God's people in church history. The Holy Bible has been through centuries of scrutiny and survived in its quality so that what we have had for nearly two millennia is the preserved and absolute word of God. Numerous creeds and confessions have been composed throughout church history, which suggest a reverence to the Bible as the written word of God. In fact, the three major creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, could be a review or a Notes version of the entire Bible. So you might wonder why the various translations, interpretations, commentaries, and versions of the Bible. Why do we have all these things? This is a legitimate question. But Christians, Christians need to realize primarily that Scripture is derived from God himself, who is the ultimate source of truth. And when this is known, all subsequent findings regarding the canon of Scripture is sensible. So throughout church history, there, uh, there are a 
there is a plurality of biblical canons. In other words, what exists today is not original. Okay. In fact, even the original sources do not exist. When someone says, let's go back to the original Greek, we do not have it. It does not exist. Uh, So the sources from which the Bible is derived are secondary at best. Scripture was largely passed orally in the early church and most recorded in written form later. So the Gospel of John, for example, is thought to have been written approximately 80 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And these facts should not be cause for alarm because even secondary sources are reliable in that those who wrote the text by hand were changed by Christ according to their own accounts and had in mind his glory again according to their own accounts. But while the words of Christ seem to take precedent over other words in the Bible, every single word of Scripture is equally as important, whether from Jesus, Paul, or the most ostensibly insignificant person mentioned in the Bible. A common argument is that even the Bible uh, does not refer to the epistles when referring to Scripture or to the Word of God. So when, when Paul's saying that every word of Scripture is breathed out by God, there are those that would say, well, that's not referring to the epistles. That's not referring to the Gospels. The early church, however, did not agree. And in fact, they employed even the letters of Paul among other epistles, during their weekly gatherings and readings. I mean, these were vital texts. And since the early church is to be the primary model for structure, Christians should understand what is available in the New Testament as the Word of God. Luther himself tried to, he attempted to remove Hebrews, James, Jude, and Revelation from the biblical canon uh, he, he found some discrepancies from the rest of the New Testament, but careful study would reconcile these discrepancies. And I'm sure Luther studied. I'm not saying, my goodness, he was a brilliant man. Um, uh, but but he, he believed that they should not be a part of the biblical canon. But the, the church throughout history has uh, disagreed with that. Many people commonly believe that the canon of Scripture was employed at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., and that it was enforced by Constantine. And this is a misconception, because if that were true, then the canons which now exist would not vary so wildly. (laughs) Okay, so we have variations. There are multiple canons and councils which aided in bringing over the centuries what is available today. Another question you have to answer is why the Protestant Bible does not include the Apocrypha, but the Catholic Bible does. There are many reasons for this, including uh, the the chief justification being that none of the Apocrypha books are referenced in the New Testament writings. Moreover, the Jewish people did not canonize Apocryphal books on the premise that God's work in prophesying to people of the people of God through unique individuals, in other, in other words, through through prophets, had ceased. Okay, so in other words. After the latter prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, after they died, the Holy Spirit departed from Israel. And so even the Jewish people believed that these apocryphal books that came later should not be canonized. And what's meant by that is that the Holy Spirit's unique work of inspiring authors of Scripture had ceased at that time. Similarly, several Gospels besides the four Gospels that we have in the New Testament exist. And uh, For example, uh, the Gospel of Thomas. Um, I have a friend named Thomas, and 
recently I told him that uh, we were discussing this matter, and I said, you know, anything with the name Thomas in it should be questionable. Um, it was a joke. And, <laughs> uh, but, you know, the Gospel of Thomas really is one that, that uh, contradicts uh, the other four Gospels uh, greatly. And in its simplest form, these have not been included in the biblical canon throughout church history, not by devious measures, but because, number one, vast uncertainty to their legitimacy, okay? <laughs> People don't know if Thomas really wrote that or, uh, or if it was somebody trying to, um, trying to do something or destroy Christianity. And number two, the direct conflicts between their accounts and the accounts of the other gospel writers. Consider the fact that Christianity in its earliest stages had countless opposers and has had them throughout church history and still has them today. It's not only plausible, but likely that many would come empowered by the enemy with feeble attempts to stamp out Christianity with lies and false accounts. And so perhaps many of these uh, superfluous so-called gospels which the church has wisely not included in the canon of Scripture, perhaps these exist on that basis. And so with the plurality of canons, councils, versions, translations, and even disparate parts of the Scripture, primarily between the Catholic and Protestant canons, a genuine concern could arise among Christians, and doubt maybe. Perhaps this is the reason many avoid the topic altogether. Believers should remember, though, that, that Scripture is merely text without the Holy Spirit. It's just text. And that the Holy Spirit will never contradict the text. Okay? If the, if the Scripture is derived from God, and it is, then those words in the Bible will never contradict God. And it's right, and it's good for believers that God has miraculously preserved the Bible as he desires. Viewing this preservation as a miracle is, it's correct to say it's a miracle when, when considering that what the, the trials and the scrutiny that Scripture has come through, certainly there, there are going to be differing opinions in the way of interpretation, but the final canon of Scripture has been settled for centuries, and church history has brought it to its current point. But it arrived at such a place long ago, and church, uh, the church has affirmed what we have as the biblical canon. The Protestant Bible's divergence from the Catholic Bible is one that we need to wrestle with. We need to reconcile because it's, it's a little confusing. Apocryphal books are not evil or even necessarily contradictory to the Protestant books, and there's a basis for why they are included in the Catholic Bible, but there's also a basis for why Protestants choose not to include them. Um, it's extra um, gospel material, if you will. It's a, um, Protestants have chosen not to include the Apocrypha, uh, not believing that it's evil or that it's terrible or that it's bad necessarily, uh, but that it just should not be canonized. There are, are supplementary texts from the early church that we use commonly. One is called the Didache, and it is a, a Greek book uh, document that uh, gives instructions for worship. And um, it's not canonized as scripture, but it is a very useful resource. And so when professing scripture alone, we need to profess that the biblical canon available is solely the word of God and that the tool by which the Holy Spirit uses to change lives. So 
besides that, much of what is believed in Scripture alone is by faith alone. In other words, believers should trust God and what he has spoken through Scripture, even with the difficulties that, while reconciling, might seem incongruous. But they certainly are not. Scripture affirms itself as the Holy Word of God. The writers of the text affirm it as such, and church history affirms Scripture alone. And so, you know, my Catholic brothers and sisters that choose to include the Apocrypha, so be it. Um, Again, not evil. Um, I firmly believe and had reconciled myself that um, the Apocrypha should not be canonized, that the Christian Protestant Bible that we have is the canon of Scripture. And so these these are uh, some of these are issues that you as an individual need to wrestle with and figure out yourself. Um, but either way, both canons have been around for for centuries, including the Protestant version, and, and has been affirmed in church history throughout the centuries. So Scripture alone, then, is the measure of God's message. Nothing more, nothing less. Sola Scriptura confesses a Bible that alone is God's message and possesses no supplement. And since Scripture alone is God's message without extra revelations, Christians should know and understand the Bible as authoritative as God himself because Scripture is derived from Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And so Scripture does not conform to the desires of humankind, but humankind is to conform to the authority of Scripture. The Bible holds everything people need and more because if Jesus Christ is sufficient, the word by which he lived on earth is sufficient. Nothing more and nothing less than Scripture is to be the sole factor by which God's people measure their lives. And so while God certainly can and does speak to people through extraordinary means, uh, for example, dreams, what the Holy Spirit tells people now does not contradict the text of Scripture that was written centuries ago. If a claimed message is contradictory to the gospel presented in Scripture, uh, you need to be cautious. In fact, you need to abandon it. It's right to question such a message. Scripture is reliable, holy, and active, and has undergone centuries of scrutiny and yet stood the test of time. No other source can stand in this way. The gospel is scripture alone. Wisdom is scripture alone. Knowledge is scripture alone. And Jesus himself is scripture alone. And the book by which the church stands and endures for eternity is scripture alone. And so uh, we need to be people of the book, by the book, for the book, because it is derived from God and it glorifies him. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.